This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. This week, a special town hall all about how to fight back against GOP-led attacks on our public schools. So I'm imagining that pretty much everyone listening is familiar with what is happening to our public schools and school boards. They have been under attack by those whose messaging and tactics are being driven by GOP politicians and the Christian right, uh, agitating around things like mask mandates and any and all forms of education teaching equity in our schools. So on Tuesday, March 8th, we hosted a 90-minute town hall featuring activists, community members, and teachers from across the state talking about their experiences with these attacks. And for this broadcast you're hearing, which which is for podcast and radio. We're going to bring you my discussion with Tinselin Sims, which kicked off the town hall. Tinselin is one of the foremost messaging experts on this subject, and she is co-director of We Make the Future Action, whose guidebook and digital toolkit can be found in the show notes. I really, really am excited to present this conversation to you. Tinselin, thank you so much. I know it's late where you are. You're on the East Coast. So thank you for taking the time tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me and such a wonderful uh, description of who I am. I'll I'll make sure I send you a couple of dollars for that. That's worthy of pay. (laughs) (laughs) It's my pleasure, my friend. Uh, So listen, I want to start with an overview here um, before we get to, you know, how we attack this problem. And, you know, um, we're certainly going to talk a lot with our other other panelists about what's happening here in Washington state. But I really want to acknowledge that this problem is happening all over the country. So let's you and I start with the big picture. Why are these attacks on our schools happening? Well, these attacks are really a part of an old playbook that has existed for a while about how do you take um, and like voters, people in this country and divide them in ways so that you don't do not have to speak about the real issues that are affecting people's lives, but you can create so um, hysteria over social issues, whether manufactured or real. And in part, this time, it's certainly manufactured these issues that they're creating. And it's it's a part of a uh, a tradition that is like make people afraid of people who are different from them, use racism as a tool to divide, get people to distrust government, get people to think that um, everyone's against them. And it really helps people not have to share a real vision for how our country can move forward, how to address the things that are really happening in people's lives and affecting them. Um, but it, it, it gets us a, a certain group pretty stirred up about these social issues. I want to talk about the ramifications, particularly for the 22 elections and everything that you're saying there. But I, I want to make this explicit because when we prepared for our discussion, you, you made it quite explicit. Um, I, I will ask why they are doing this. And, and it, it is my understanding really that they want to get rid of our public schools. Am I accurate in that assessment? Well, this is a part of a long attack on public schools. Like if you think about all the things that have happened in our schools um, over time, uh, the funding that has been lost to schools, these folks have been missing from that conversation, right? About our public schools. When you talk about um, ensuring that teachers have the resources they need to actually teach our children and keep our, our folks safe in schools, those are not the things that they're talking about, right? They're, these are a part of a long attack of like taking resources from our schools, stopping us from having an education system that ensures that no matter where you live or what you come from or what color your skin is, you all have an um, equitable access to education and opportunity in this country. This is rooted in that. And they're using this as an opportunity to attack our schools, attack our educators, um, and make it difficult for all of our children to have what they need. 
you have talked about the connection to you know getting people riled up. Certainly, this is being used, I think, uh, cynically and I have to say very effectively at this point uh, in connection with the 22 midterms to really uh, stir up the base. Yeah. Yeah, this is totally a base tactic. There's a there's a small a small group of folks who are really riled up about this and they get really excited and they get really active and they get really vocal. Part of the research that you mentioned at the beginning that we did, the Freedom to Learn research, which we did in partnership with NEA, um, with ASO Communications um, and Lake Research Partners, it really looked at this issue and where do folks stand on it? And then how do we best message about that? And when we did this research in our focus groups and in our dial tests, we found that most people find this to be a non-issue. Most people are not really upset about the things that they have manufactured over time. In fact, people want our schools to be diverse. People want our children to have an honest and accurate accounting of the past so that they can know how to prepare for the future. Like most people find these protests, these uh, book burnings and all these things that they have done to be uh, a bad thing and not something that they want around them. Um, but it, it does manufacture a lot of attention for some folks and it gets headlines and it prevents people from having to put a real vision forward about um, this country. I want to highlight what you're saying here because, you know, you're referencing a polling that people can find in the guide. And by the way, I'm just going to let people know ahead of time that Kat will be providing uh, a link to the guide and the digital toolkit as well. But uh, I just want to highlight this one line from the polling that you referenced, which is uh, the majority of people polled believe that uh, we should, quote, teach the best, both the best of our achievements and our worst mistakes. So that, as you say, means the majority of people were really on our side, at least on the curriculum issue. I was very heartened to, to find that out. Were, were you surprised when, when you looked at the data? Well, something I try to do going into these research projects is to not have assumptions. Mm. <laughs> that way I'm best prepared <laughs> to kind of receive what I learn in the time. Um, I was I was really surprised at how much people were kind of like, this doesn't make any sense. Like just really baffled by it um, in such a way that many folks see these uh, protests, they see these things happening in the world and they just kind of say, this is so wild. This is so unbelievable that I'm not even gonna give it my attention because obviously this could never come to be. And what we found, you know, surely in some areas that this has actually resulted in legislation that is da um, damaging to our public schools and our children. But most people think that it's just so backwards and behind that they, in fact, don't pay it a lot of attention because they think, why? Mm. Well, I, one of the things, obviously, that we're here to do tonight is to start to call attention to this in a big way, certainly to mobilize people on our side of things, uh, and really then to talk about some of those, you know, talk to some of those people who are persuadable, who can be brought over to our side. Uh, and I'll get to that through this route. I think I really want to go down the messaging route because this is really, really your wheelhouse. Um, and it's going to be a big part of how we fight back. Um, so, you know, you talk in Freedom to Learn um, about the three aspects of messaging. You talk about values, our shared values, villain, uh, who's to blame, and vision, which is what we want. So three Vs we're working with here. So let's start with values. What are the shared values here that you think we should all focus on when we're messaging? 
What we want to share is uh, one of the biggest distractions that our opposition does is they get us off our message and get us responding to the things that they say so that we spend all of our time refuting the things that they've said instead of putting a clear vision forward of what can actually be achieved and what we want to see in the world. So if you think about a vision, some of the messaging that we use in the, in the guide is like a value would be children's freedom to learn to be themselves and pursue their dreams people agree with that, right? Or children of different races coming together to learn from mistakes of our past to create a better future. People agree with that. That is a vision for what we desire to see in the world. And we have to think about all the different ways um, that our vision could live out based off of where we live and what we wanna see um, happen. Uh, can I ask you just about a couple of, of just very specific framing issues that you call out? Uh, one is you say, and you're, you're touching on this already, to not negate the opposition's talking points, but in, you call out specifically saying when talking about CRT, do not say CRT is not about teaching white people to feel bad about themselves. Uh, you, you, you turn that phrasing around. Uh, why? Talk, talk a little bit about why. Um, the main reason is that whatever you negate, you actually promote. Right, so whatever you repeat, that is what you give your audience to hear. The truth about these attacks on critical race theory um, in schools is not uh, whether or not um, it's actually being taught in schools. They are actually using this as a catch-all term that they've created for themselves to throw anything into that basket that makes critical race theory. Uh, a thing. And so as you could see in some of the video that clip that you just showed, they had all these other things that they lumped in one bag to say is critical race theory. When you stand in front of a group and you say, we do not teach critical race theory, what people hear is we teach critical race theory, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Like it's the same thing. If you imagine if you go to your child and you say, did you eat the last cookie? And they say, I did not eat the last cookie. You immediately look like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> the last, <laughs> right? You give, you're giving airtime to the opposition's message. What you want to do is talk about the things that you desire to see in the schools. What are the great things that are happening in, in your schools? And what are the real ways that we can create change to make our schools better? Don't spend time repeating their message. The other thing I'll just say about that is sometimes people have never heard your opposition's message, right? They've never heard the attacks against you. And so if you spend your precious bit of time in front of a group refuting all the things that your opposition has said about you, you've in fact spread their message for them. You have done their work for free. Don't, don't ever do that. <laughs> Not so I have a number of questions about that when we get into our next section section here, which is is the, the villain. The second part of the second V is is villain. You say that it's important to not make the parents the villain here. They certainly are the most visible part of all of this. But you believe that the blame really needs to be directed at politicians. Can you talk about why? Right. Parents are being used like it's a it's a it's a media show. Right. And, and parents are the ones that are being used by some pretty um, skilled elected officials in order to uh, promote the ideas. And so why we say don't use parents as a villain is that if you ask anyone, do you think a parent should have a role in their children's education? They're going to say yes, of course, parents should have a role in the children's education. So if you get out and start 
all telling all the reasons parents should uh, not have a role in the, their child's education, you look off to most people because they actually believe the opposite. And, but the, what we know is that this is being used as a political tool to divide folks and to distract folks from what is actually um, happening at this time. And so you want to place this squarely at the feet of those um, elected officials, corporations, um, for-profit um, education centers that are using this as an opportunity to actually uh, attack our public school system. Well, so just as as an exercise, without naming anybody specific, because obviously everybody listening here is going to have different politicians uh, at different levels uh, where they live. But if you could just give sort of a generic example of how you would shift the message away from blaming the parents and toward, as you say, elected officials, uh, you know, corp- corporate powers and, and things like that. Sure. I actually give you one example from one of the narratives that we have. Um, there's a phrase that we use, like, while educators work to deliver our children accurate and honest education. Some politicians are trying to turn us against schools. So, um, sorry, so they can censor the lessons taught in our classrooms, deny certain children resources and write people who look like them out of our history books, right? We are actually putting a compare and contrast of our educators who are coming to school each day, trying to give our children the best chance at a great life and um, the skills that they need to survive with those who are trying to distract and divide and we use the language of certain politicians. If, if I could just follow that road uh, a little bit further, we know that the opposition here is falsely equating public education with government overreach. Like for example, we heard this uh, in the GOP rebuttal to a Biden State of the Union speech. How do we counter that kind of thing? Well. The thing about it is that the job, and if you ask most people, the job of government is to help people make people's lives better, right? And people believe that. And so it's really easy on our end to kind of fall into the opposition's framing by talking bad about the government. But if you think about all the things that you think our families, our communities, our neighborhoods need, they rely on effective government to actually make those things happen. Government must work and it must work properly. And so we have to avoid those pitfalls that they're actually trying to make. It's the same thing about healthcare. People want access to healthcare, but the main attack that people, the opposition is used around ensuring that people have adequate access, I shouldn't say access because that's wrong, to ensure people have healthcare, like are able to go see their doctor, mm-hmm. are able um, to um, take care of their loved ones, is by saying it's a government thing. The government is going to hurt your healthcare. It's a it's a typical talking point that they use to distract people and to disparage anything that helps us collectively and ensures that we all have access to the things that we need. We had mentioned the parents earlier. We saw the, the parents in these uh, school board meetings at, at the top in our in our video. They can be frightening. They can be loud. They can be aggressive. They can be dangerous and violent. Um, how do you recommend people respond in such? Because we're ultimately looking to mobilize people to go to these meetings. So, so how ultimately, when these confrontations happen, do you uh, do you advise people to respond? So, uh, I'll give you an example of some partners that we had in North Carolina. What they did and this. They actually had what they called a freedom to learn party where they they came together during February to talk about like the freedom to learn about all of um, 
um, our heroes and all the people who have made America great. And they focused on, and I should not have used that phrase, but all the people, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's, trauma. That's a trauma response. But all of the people that made, <laughs> all the people that made uh, this um, country wonderful. And they touched on like Black, Black History Dawn, Black History Month. And they put together a reading list that they actually sent to a particular um, their lieutenant governor to say, here's a great reading list so that you can learn about all the people that have made um, our, our, our state wonderful, that have made this a, a great a place for us to live. And so this is like some of the ways that people are responding in this moment is to come together to lift up the things that they want to be taught in their schools. Um, I've seen groups have like read-ins where they come together and they don't necessarily go toe-to-toe -to -toe with those folks because that not, is not always the safest thing to do. Yeah. But just read some of the books that they found to be wonderful um, and that they want to keep in their schools to lift up the stories and the people whose uh, stories we should be celebrating and talking about. And those are some of the ways that we've seen parents be really active and really visible at sharing what they want to see in their schools because that's what we have to show. We cannot spend all our time talking about the things that we don't want. We have to show people what it is that we do want and come together around those ideas um, so that others who may be a bit on the persuadable line can hear that and move with us towards that vision. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, we're going to talk about vision in just a moment because that is the final V. I do want to mention in terms of safety concerns, I want to just call something out. Uh, Representative Tana Sen uh, sponsored HB 1630, which just passed the legislature this week, and it establishes restrictions on weapons in certain meetings, including school board meetings and polling places. So I think that is a very, very positive step toward keeping people safe in these environments because we know that uh, there have been uh, armed people showing up to these, these meetings here in the state. So let's talk about what we want then. So what is the vision that you lay out in the guide? So we lay out a, a vision where our schools are community places where people, like you have to lay out what our schools are for. They are places where people take care of one another, they come together um, and they build community and space. And they think about how to make our country um, move forward, right? If you ask parents, what do they want uh, their schools to do? And they often talk about, they want their schools to prepare their children for tomorrow. They want their, um, their schools to prepare their children um, with these skills that they need to earn a good living and have a good life, right? And so with our vision, we have to put that forward because the people who are talking about this critical race theory stuff, they don't wanna talk about why uh, haven't our schools been adequately funded? Why are we in fact defunding our schools? They don't wanna talk about why um, some children don't have access to the latest technology or good, good books, good decent textbooks that aren't ripped and torn. They don't wanna talk about the facilities. And those are the things that parents actually wanna talk about. And those are the things that they wanna see happen. And so we have to paint a vision where our schools are different, where our educators are supported and have what they need. And so this is what we wanna keep painting that vision of what it could look like. The thing I always tell people is that for many of us, um, we've seen uh, so much of what we want has not been visible for us because we've just been fighting for it for so long. It is the work of science fiction. And we have to keep reminding people about what that looks like 
because it's not top of mind for folks. We've been at uh, in fights to just to get the basics, to actually get the stuff that we um, that will make our lives even better is the work of fantasy. And so we have to constantly paint that vision of what our communities could look like, what they could smell like, what they could feel like, um, what people could do in them so that that vision becomes something that people wanna, wanna actually make a move towards and they're willing to speak up uh, for. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how there is this rather large group of persuadable people who we need to kind of get off the sidelines. Are, are you talking about using this vision, the, the, the vision that you're painting, as a way to motivate these people, the, the, the so-called persuadables, to make it compelling to them to get involved? Yes. One of the things that we always say about our messaging is that you have to have a message that really resonates with your base. Because if your base gets really excited about your message, they really like it. They'll like spread it along. They're gonna talk about it at the water cooler. They're gonna like uh, at the at the church meeting. It's gonna be a conversation about it. Like they're gonna have uh, you know just tea with friends. They'll bring these things up. Your message, when it comes from you, if you're at representing an organization or a particular group, is kind of people are skeptical about it but they want to hear it from the people around them. And what makes a good message is one that spreads. And so when we get our base excited about these things, we're talking about the stuff that's really impacting their lives, a real dream for what tomorrow could look like. Those are the things that they will repeat and share. And that's how we move this persuadable group along. Something we always tell folks about persuadables is that they are actually listening to both sides and they can toggle back and forth between those both sides. They're not like, what is the greatest compromise that I can find in life? <laughs> That's not the thing that they're looking for, right? It's yeah. really that they're holding two frames in their mind and whoever talks to them most often, most consistently, most loudly is the frame that gets triggered and it's the one that they'll respond to. So if we are quiet in these moments, if we're not actually saying something, about what's happening, about our tax on schools and our tax on um, education, they're not going to hear us. So we have to be saying something. We have to be speaking out because otherwise that other side seems like they're the most vocal, the most active. And those folks will think, well, maybe they have a point and I should listen to what they're saying. Well, this leads me logically into my next question, which is about media coverage. Uh, I think it's clear from our, our, our opening video that the media is not incentivized to cover this issue in a way that is advantageous to us. So I'll just ask you, and this is an enormously broad question, because of course it, it you know it, it's it's earned media, it's social media, it covers a just an enormously broad swath of of, of media coverage, but it just sort of painting with large brushstrokes. How do you think we begin to shift media coverage our direction on this issue? We got to show up and show out, right? Many times we've let these narratives go unopposed of what these folks are saying. Meaning we watched it, we've seen it, and we're just kind of like, ugh, that's sickening. Or, ugh, I don't want to be around that. But what that means is that when the media shows up, they're only hearing from that group, right? That's the only group there with a story to tell, with a vision, with a message out there. We have to show up too. We have to share what we wanna see in the, in the world. We have to be promoting this message as much, much as possible so that that narrative is not just out in the world unopposed. We have to contest for airspace by showing up, having our events, making our voices proud, um, writing it, putting it on our social media, 
putting it out in the world because that's how we can get folks um, to see and hear us and how we can get some media attention around it. You know, one of the things that you and I mentioned when we were uh, preparing for this is the fact that, you know, tens of thousands of people have uh, visible uh, affiliation across the state of Washington. And you mentioned that collective action can often get more press coverage, right? Yes. Coming together with folks to work together. You all are an amazing group and you have an amazing opportunity to let folks see and hear what most parents want, what, what most community members want. And we can't continue just to allow those messages out there unopposed. I say that over and over again. Hopefully you'll walk away saying, I didn't hear anything else from Tinsley other than we cannot let that message go out there unopposed because it's it's what people think people are really like leaning towards. And we know the research tell, tells us that's absolutely not the case. You are on the winning side. Uh, yes, please. I, you, you could say that a thousand times. I, I really want to, I, I want to drive that point home. And I think we started our discussion there and I would like to, uh, we're just about to wrap up with you here, but I would just ask you to encapsulate what are the most important actions people can take right now? I would say, you know, you have to let it be known to your elected officials that these things are going on in your area. Like, don't let it, don't let these things end continue to make your voice heard, organize. I say this all the time. My, um, I remember John Lewis, I met one time and I feel like every question someone asked him, he said, are you organized? <laughs> like, like, great question, are you organized? You all are already organized. So make something happen. Create the, the pictures that the news can see, <laughs> create the opportunities, create your, um, what do you call it? Your, your recommended reading list, like our folks in North Carolina did. Like, what's your recommended reading list that you're saying you want your, your children to hear? Um, they had folks um, of who are prominent in their state say, here's a book that I read and how it changed my life, right? Just having people to speak up in an affirmative way about what it looks like when we give our children an accurate and honest history um, so that they can actually prepare for the future. If you ask people, parents in particular, why they want their children to have an accurate and honest um, accounting of history, it's because they want them to learn from the mistakes of the past. And we have to make sure that we are out there saying that over and over again, because people agree with us. Those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat it. And boy, we keep doing that. We're doing it as we speak right now. Um, yeah, so history, enormously important, and as is the, the writers that we that we read and, and the mathematicians that we study and all across the board. Um, so we're at the end of our time here. I'm wondering if you have time for just a couple of audience questions here that have come in. Uh, sure. You tell me what your heart out is. No, we're good. We're good. It's okay. 10 o'clock, 1030 my time. You got me now. We might as well stick in it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Well, so, you know, uh, one of our uh, panelists, Petra, who we're going to hear from in a moment, is in a school district, a very red school district, where a lot of people on, on our side uh, just want to believe this problem is going to go away, that it's going to burn itself out, and that these people are going to go away. What would you say to convince them otherwise? Um, I would say I wish I lived in that world that you you live in. It's not, it's not going to go away. What it is, is, is a tactic of divide, right? So this is the story of right now. I will tell you this, it may not be critical race theory forever, but it will be a new story of division. If you remember a couple of years ago, it was the, um, uh, it was around immigration. That was mm -hmm. the big thing, right? They use these things of racial division continuously over and over again 
to stoke folks' racial fears, to get them uh, excited and in a panic so that they will then be activated to move in the way that they've described. So I will stick with you around, it may not be critical race theory five years from now, but there will be some way that they will find a way to try to divide folks using racial fears because they've been doing it since the time of Nixon, probably before, right? It is a key part of their, their platform in order to do that. And I think that um, we've seen too much legislation pass already uh, because it's been unopposed. Um, we haven't organized folks to show up for those school board elections to show up um, on a very localized level because that's where we're seeing this legislation take, it's not national, it's very, very local that we're seeing these really divisive bills and, and they will still be here from years from now. So we can't let that happen. You know, you mentioned uh, previous uh, iterations of this, and you know, I went to school, uh, college in the '90s, and it was political correctness, and so you know, it's kind of it was ever thus, and so these are the sorts of things that are secular, uh, and I, I cyclical rather, and uh, yeah, Petra, I hope that answers your question. Um, we had a question from uh, someone who I. I figure as a board member, since he asked this question, it's Joe from Indivisible Whidbey. He said, uh, can, what can current board members do to help? Well, I would say don't stay silent, right? Many folks have chosen to stay silent because uh, they feel like, I don't know, are people like really thinking this thing? Like, am I on the, like, do I have the masses with me? And I would say you do, you have the masses with you. Um, we have a lovely guide that I had is going to share out with folks. You can use it to find talking points and ways of um, speaking about the issue. It even includes stuff like say this, don't say that, like little tips and tricks along the way, along with just fuller narratives that you can use over the time. We've produced videos and all kinds of things that you could share on your um, what do you call it on your website or on your social media accounts. I think that the, the job, and, and then also let folks know how they can support you so that it looks, you know, like it shows the real accounting that people are behind you because we have to stand with our, um, those elected officials who are actually standing with us. And I know Kat just dropped a link in there, uh, in the chat uh, for the Freedom to Learn uh, digital toolkit. Y'all, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, it is so thorough and it is, it's, it's like a skeleton key. You, it, it, I think, will apply to not just this particular situation, but messaging situations across the board. Uh, it's just expertly written stuff. Uh, let's, let's, uh, we'll, we'll ask you one more question, then we'll let you go here. Um, so, uh, Joe, my, my buddy Joe Colombo from uh, Indivisible Puyallup says, I don't know if, if Tinsel can answer this, but how did church, because you saw this uh, clip uh, from Experienced Church at the very beginning here, uh, how did churches get away with saying this sort of thing without having their nonprofit status removed or revoked? Any idea on that? I have no idea about that. <laughs> I don't know um, about that. But what we've seen uh, to connect with that, what we've seen is like, this actually morphed with other issues, right? Like I said, critical race theory has become a dumping ground for anything that folks don't like. So we've seen people talk about it as attack. Mm -hmm. They've used messaging to say like, it's coming against churches or religion because they've often um, attached uh, issues of um, uh, the LGBTQ community to critical race theory and they found ways to like find inroads there as well. So I would, I don't know why 
those things are happening. Um, uh, that's a very that, good that's question. fair. Yeah, I, I I figured that, that was going to be kind of a tough answer. So we'll, let's leave it with this. So uh, Madeline from Indivisible uh, Olympia Indivisible asks, and I think this is a very salient question here, and we'll leave it on this. How can we fight funding for charter slash private schools with public funds? You got to show up. That, the, those things usually happen on the local level, and you got to show up <laughs> and say that you don't want your funds used for that. You know, that's another voice in this and another villain in this story as well um, is around the the way that public funds are being like siphoned from um, public schools to charter schools. Um, And some of that has we've seen in some places where those two attacks have come together, the critical race theory, along with the, the privatization of education have come together to really leverage attacks on our public schools. And so I would say you gotta be active. Those things usually come up for um, a vote at the local level. Like I said, these attacks happen at the very, very local level. Mm-hmm. The state races, a little bit harder to get stuff passed nationally, certainly harder to get things like this across, but you see them at the very local level. Well, we're going to leave it there with you. And honestly, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Tinsel and Sims, you are just magnificent. I really, I, I, I'm so grateful to everything you've done, uh, certainly uh, on with, uh, you know, We Make the Future Action and then also for, for the guide and just for your time tonight. Can we all give uh, Tinsel and some, some hands? Some love thank here. you all for having me. I really appreciate you thinking I had something good enough to share. <laughs> <laughs> you have. Please come back. And that will do it for our discussion with the wonderful Tinsel and Sims, who did say actually afterwards that she would come back. Uh, so that will do it for this podcast. If you would like to hear a full audio recording of the entire town hall, I have included that in a separate podcast. And if you'd like to see a video of the full town hall, head to facebook.com slash wash indivisible. And you can find a link to the We Make the Future digital guide and toolkit in the show notes. The executive producer of the program is Kat Pipkin. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at IndivisiblePod. Special thanks to Lori Colwell, and as always, my thanks to you for listening and watching. My name is Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.